You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Our final sermon today in this foundational series called Because I Said So. And as with each week, as I've done, I want to uh, recap where we've been. I like to be on the same page. I think repetition is important because um, we are sheep, and sheep like things said to them over and over again. Amen? Amen? I could have said sheep are dumb, but I didn't. All right? All right. So let's, let's go here. Here's our recap of where we've been. Uh, week number one, a God-given authority, inerrancy. Uh, week number two, a time-tested authority, reliability. Week number three was a life-changing authority, sufficiency, and necessity of God's word. Last week, we looked at a transcultural authority, and the term we gave that was superiority. God's word is superior to any uh, form of culture. And then this week, we do this. We see this, a non-negotiable authority, um, and we're going to label this as mandatory. Uh, The word of God is not optional, okay? Because it's inerrant, because it's reliable, because it's sufficient, because it's superior, well, therefore, then, um, God's word needs to be taught, and it needs to be read, and it needs to be listened to. Uh, The Bible, again, is not optional. It is absolutely mandatory. I've said this first many times throughout this series. Uh, Let me say it one more time. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? So what Jesus is telling us, uh, we don't just need physical bread to survive. We need spiritual bread to survive as well. We cannot live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this then leads us to our mandatory text today on the mandatory nature of God's word. Please turn in your Bibles uh, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, verses uh, 1 to 5. And such an important text and such an exciting text. And so this is where we're going to end our series today in the word of God. 2 Timothy 4 um, verses 1 to 5. And the text says this, Paul writing to young Timothy. uh, He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing uh, and his kingdom. And then he says this, he says, uh, preach the word. He says, Timothy, you got to be ready, okay? You got to be ready in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort Uh, with complete patience uh, and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure uh, sound teaching, but having uh, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves uh, teachers who will suit their own passions, and notice, and they will turn away uh, from listening to the truth. Whenever you turn away from truth, here's the only other option you have. It's to wander off into myths, it says. Now, Timothy, now, Timothy, verse 5, as for you, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, Timothy. Think clearly. See uh, clearly. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And he ends here on this section, and he says, um, fulfill your ministry. We are helped as we are reminded. Paul, as he writes this letter, is in prison. Paul is awaiting death. And that fact right alone, that fact right there brings urgency as we come to God's word. Paul's not going through the motions. Paul's not casually saying a couple of things. Paul's not kind of got his feet up and just kind of saying, well, if you feel like it, Timothy. I mean, Paul is taking Timothy to a new level of urgency with the importance specifically now of God's word in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants to encourage Timothy. 
Paul wants Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. you got to know, too, in the context of 2 Timothy, which is detailed in this letter itself, Paul has been deserted by most. His situation was becoming harsher and harsher. He was in house arrest, a little more freedom. He was moving towards a chained up in a dark and awful cell situation as he awaits, again, his death for the gospel. Across the church, persecution was growing apostasy was on the rise and a serious problem. Of course, apostasy being uh, the desertion of the faith entirely. So persecution was growing. Apostasy was a serious problem. And false teachers uh, were constantly trying to climb over themselves to get into the church to diminish the truth of God's word. Persecution, apostasy, false teaching. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's what we face today. It's what every generation of believers has faced. And again, we are no exception. So the letter of 2 Timothy really becomes a powerful call of repetition to that which um, matters most. And what we see as we take a survey of 2 Timothy, what we see here is in in chapter 1, let me just say these things for you, but in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, um, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that you have received. Because he says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear. See, now, Timothy was tempted with fear at times. That encourages us. Timothy struggled with being timid. That encourages us too because we're struggling with that at times. But Paul says, Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Also in chapter 1, Paul says, Timothy, guard the good deposit which has been entrusted to you. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You will only be strengthened, Timothy, by the grace of the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 2, what you have heard from me, I want you to give to others and entrust to them that they might teach others. Timothy, the gospel, the gospel, the truth of God's word. Do not lose this. Do not forget this. In chapter 2, also Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I'm giving myself for this, Timothy. You are called to do the same. And then chapter 2, verse 15, what Paul says, Timothy, as well. He says, do your best. We learned this verse a couple of weeks ago. Do your best that you may not be ashamed of worker. No need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then in chapter 2, verse 22, he says, flee from youthful passions. Timothy, there's no time to be caught up in the sensuality of our day. There's no time to be caught up with things like pornography. And lustful action and all these things that will kill you in the process of the gospel. Flee these things and instead pursue righteousness and faith and love. And then in chapter 3 he says, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. And then chapter 3 verse 16 and 17, what he says is, and this is where we go right before our text, all scripture has been breathed out by God. All scripture, Timothy, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for proof, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete ready and equipped for every good work. All of that is leading now up to the peak of the letter of 2 Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want us, I want us, I want us to feel the weight of this moment. I want us to understand the power of what's happening here again. Paul's not wasting time. Paul's not wasting words. Paul's got a message for his young man that he is pouring himself into. And this is our context That brings us now to why God's word is so specifically mandatory and why he has this word for us today as well. And this then takes us to point one. When it comes to the mandatory nature of God's word, hear this, I must accept the charge. When it comes to God's word being mandatory, it's not negotiable. 
Um, I, we must accept the charge. Look at verse 1 now. I charge you. Paul says, again, all this momentum. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, he says, he says, preach Preach the word. I want to remind you, chapter divisions in Scripture are not inspired. So do not miss the end of chapter 3 as it leads to the beginning of chapter 4. Just the very truth that all Scripture breathed out by God. It is profitable for everything we seek to be. The importance, the mandatory nature of God's word. And then what Paul does to Timothy, he brings this charge and this phrase, I charge you. That, that phrase can also be translated, um, I solemnly charge you. Okay, now, now, when Paul says this, okay, this is a forceful order or directive. Again, Paul isn't wasting time. Again, we learned this a couple of weeks ago, right here in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 4. Paul is grabbing Timothy by the scruff of the neck, okay? Listen to me, Timothy. Listen to me. It's kind of like uh, when, a, when, a, when a father is urgently trying to speak to his son. And he gets down at his eyes or his daughter. And he says, son, you listen to me now. You listen to me because it's so important. You have to. Look at me in the eye. I have a message for you right now. You need to hear this. Wake up. Wake up, son. You've got to hear this. Because what I'm about to say to you can change your life, not to mention every other person that you encounter for the cause of Jesus Christ. Son, I'm not, I'm not fooling around. This is a big deal. I charge you. I charge you. My life's about to end. What I'm about to say, listen up. I solemnly charge you. And then Paul go, he takes this in this amazing forceful command. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. So the charge just went from the presence of Paul into the presence of God and Christ Jesus. This phrase right here, I charge you in the present, we, we know where it's going. This is why in the book of James, James says, not many of you should be teachers. For those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Because this is a serious thing. And Paul states the truth right here. Those who handle the authority of God's word, first and foremost, they do under the authority of God himself. It's completely accurate to see in verse 1, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you, in the presence of God, and then, and Christ Jesus. That could be translated, and even, even more so, Christ Jesus. If the presence of God wasn't enough, in the presence of Christ Jesus as well. You know what Paul's saying right here? Timothy, Timothy, listen up, listen up, listen up. When it comes to God's word, man, God's watching. The Father is watching. And more than that, the Son is watching too. God the Father and God the Son, they are watching. They are superintending over His Word, the Word, and the way it's delivered and how it's handled. This is the picture that can never leave the mind of the pastor. This is the picture that can never leave the mind of the leader. This is the picture that can never leave the mind of anyone who wants to be used by God as they pick up His Word and handle His Word. God is watching. Jesus Christ is watching. And we, leaders, me, I will have to give an account to what's been done with the word of God that's been entrusted to us. I charge you, Timothy, 
I charge you, but in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus. But the charge, it just, it just increases in seriousness. Look what it says next in verse 1. Who will judge the living and the dead? Timothy, I charge you. The one who handles all authority. Hey, hey, loved ones, hear this, hear this. Uh, man does not judge, okay? Man thinks he's so smart. Man, man walks around in such palm. Man carries such a, Man's nothing, okay? Man withers and fades. But the word of God stands forever, and God himself, incapable of being diminished or heard. God himself is the judge. Jesus Christ is the judge. Jesus holds all authority. Listen, Jesus holds the authority to permit access into heaven, and he also has the authority to cast into hell. But Jesus Christ himself said, don't fear those who can kill you, Luke, and after that do nothing. They can chop your head off at the end. That's all they can do. But he says, I tell you, fear the one who can kill you and after that has the authority to cast you into hell. Not my words, Jesus' words. Fear him who has the authority over life and death for eternity. This is serious stuff. Timothy, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. The highest possible authority. But again, this charge still isn't done. I charge in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. He says this, and now he says this. Look at verse one. He says, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This just didn't love ones. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? He's returning by his appearing. Timothy, Timothy, Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ is coming. When he returns, he's coming with his kingdom. Timothy, you gotta understand, man, this is a big deal. This is a very, very, very big deal. He is coming back to, again, hold people to account. He is coming with his kingdom. He will judge the living and the dead. He will return. He will return. I love this, though. On one, on, on one level, I love, I love reading in Scripture. He's appearing. He's appearing. He will come in his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yes, Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen, church? Come, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. What a day that will be. Remember, remember, remember. Paul's trying to say to Timothy, Timothy, you're fearful of man. We are so fearful of man. What will he say? What will she say? What will they say? What will they do? Will I do this? Will I be in trouble? Will I? Remember, remember, the moment Jesus Christ returns in his glory and his splendor and his majesty, you don't care what he or she said. You care what he said, okay? This is the truth. This is the truth right now. We have to discipline ourselves to live in. We're so afraid of humanity. But at the end of the day, we live for eternity, and when he comes riding on the clouds, man, the fear of man is tanked in the dirt. And the fear of God is the only thing, the only thing that remains, and the only thing that matters. Remember, loved ones, the moment he appears, nothing matters but him and his work. The moment he appears, okay, your smartphone, you're dropping it, okay? The moment he appears, your Facebook status, it's irrelevant. Hate to break that to you, okay? The moment, the moment he appears, okay, your shopping spree is over. The hockey game is done. The stock market is immaterial. And again, this, no, the moment he appears, your vacation is canceled, man. You're just not thinking about that anymore, okay? Nothing wrong with the vacation, hear me. Nothing wrong with the vacation. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in terms of eternity and the reality. Timothy, Timothy, by his appearing and his kingdom... The only thing that matters is him. So Timothy then, live in such light. Live in such truth. Live with such fear of God and reverence. Think about this charge. 
I want you to know in verse 1, this is one of the most serious charges in all of Scripture. I mean, can Paul add any more weight to what he's about to say? I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Whatever comes next is an earth-shattering, life-changing command. Whatever follows from this moment right here, as Paul's last will and testament is being given, whatever comes from this passage right now, that is the most important thing we could possibly ever hear. And what does he say? He says, Timothy, with all I have and all this seriousness I can muster, I charge you, Timothy, preach the word. Because all scriptures breathed out by God. Timothy, whatever you do in the midst of your fear and the shaky society you're a part of, you must hold fast to the Lord and you must preach the word. It's kind of difficult to overstate the seriousness of this command, isn't it? When you get all the context that wraps up with around it, see, this is where I don't understand what pastors are doing. I don't get it. I don't understand how they miss this. It's right here, it's so clear. God has gone out of his way to bring the most important and serious charge possibly in scripture which all pertains and surrounds his word. Uh, What's the problem? The problem is the fear of man. And the problem is there's a lack of the fear of God. But just consider, just consider, God will hold pastors accountable. But I think of what's happening then in our day in so many settings. I think of, 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 of teachers, leaders, pastors flippantly handling God's word, casually approaching God's word. Blasphemy in some cases. Here's what we know. Uh, lives don't get changed apart from this book, man. Lives cannot be changed apart from the. You can tell me all the stories you want about your life, and I could do the same with you. Your life is not changing. I can tell all sorts of stories. I work hard enough to stimulate your intellect and draw a tear down your eye and make you laugh. You're not changing, though, if you're not exposed to the very world. The Holy Spirit blesses this book. If this book isn't open, people don't get changed. It's just that simple. It's the way it's always been. It's what God says. He tells us right now. This is who we are to be. This is what we are to do in love and humility and gentleness with passion and conviction and a boldness because there's no time to waste. And maybe there's some pastors listening right now. Brother, have the, have the courage. Have the courage to rely on the Lord. You know what I'm so thankful for? From the moment this church began, I've been surrounded by elders who come up to me arm in arm and say, Robbie, preach the word. Do it in love, do it in truth, do it with humility, do it with compassion, but do preach the word. There are pastors in our fellowship today in Harvest Churches now as senior pastors. They were kicked out of their churches essentially because they held to the gospel too strongly. It's happening in our day. And these are evangelical churches. Not to mention the rest. People afraid to say what's true or maybe don't want to hear what's true. The greatest way we are loved is with a humble, passionate, conviction-filled approach to God's truth. That's the single greatest way we are loved because this is what God uses. See, God's word is mandatory. And this is why I, we, I must accept the charge. Here's the second thing we learn with the mandatory nature of God's word. And it's this, I must preach the word. I must 
obviously, but I want to flesh this out in verse 2. I must preach the word uh, regardless. I'll add that in. I must preach the word regardless. Look at verse 2 now. Uh, preach the word. Be ready. Be ready, Timothy. Be ready, Timothy. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete uh, patience and teaching. See the word preach there? The word preach means um, to herald, uh, to uh, announce, uh, to pro claim and it carries the idea um, of a town crier the town crier that goes into the center of a village and he stands up on a, a little stool and he says hear ye hear ye and he begins to proclaim a message that he's been given by his superior or the king or whoever and he announces this he says it loud he declares the truth for all to hear this is what's behind the word a caruso or preach right here in 2 Timothy 4:2 but we know this about town criers or messengers it wasn't always the message that the town crier actually wanted to say and it wasn't always the message that the people wanted to hear. But the key was, uh, it was the message that he was given. And so his job then is to fulfill the duty of what's been entrusted to him by the authority that is above him. It's not our job to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we like and which parts we don't. Okay? When we're reading God's word and we see a part, oh, that part's kind of tough, let's just skip that. We don't have that right. We don't have that authority. God is the one who's written this book, not us. So any person going and saying, oh, this part's good, this part, and then and silence on certain things too, that's, that's a fail as well. Avoiding what God has said, well, that will be held to account as well. You see the context behind what Paul is doing with Timothy here. This is, there's a wonderful sense of um, urgency. There's importunity. There's, 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 there's passion behind this. And this is what we need in our day too. We need faithful men standing up with God's word Faithful leaders standing up with God's word and gripped by it themselves and passionately declaring what God has said. Here's a, we learned about Whitfield today. Let me uh, show you a quote by Whitfield, which I love so much. He, he said this, I love those who thunder out the word. Amen. He said, the Christian world is in a deep sleep. Nothing but a loud voice can awaken them out of it. I love that he said that. Yes, that's so good. That's so good. And that's so true. Listen, you know, hey, why are people coming here? Why is the pastor so excited? Why is the pastor so excited? Why is the pastor so excited? Listen, if you want a board, dulling, uh, preacher, or whatever in charge, you, there's, there's a hundred others you can go to, man. You can fall asleep at your will. Go ahead, all right? Go ahead. This world needs a couple of people who are fired up and excited about the truths of God and the conviction and belief that we need him to do a great work in our day. And so, and so just like, we're not going to apologize for being excited about that which God has so clearly said. Be excited about Get fired up about it. Like understand how much you've been given. Understand that lives are at stake. Understand that this is, this is life and death. And so no wonder Whitfield said what he said. Yet we do need people who are sleeping and a loud voice to wake them up out of the slumber and to see Jesus Christ. And look at verse 2. Notice in the command to preach, there's the command to uh, be ready. Timothy, be ready, be ready, be ready. Question loved ones, you ready? We Ready? Ready for what? Ready for the variations and the seasons of God's word. I'll be ready in season and be ready out of season. Ready here, ready is a resolve. Ready is, um, is um, an urgency. Ready is a earnestness. There's an earnestness with God's word. One of my other heroes, an unbelievable preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones in the 20th century um, out of Britain, uh, he said this about this issue. He said, in the midst of life, we are in death. 
if the preacher does not suggest this sense of urgency that he is there between God and men, speaking between time and eternity, he has no business to be in a pulpit. So if pastor stands up and he's completely bored with the Bible, a bored preacher should be an oxymoron, and it is, okay? The person who stands up and has no sense of life, no sense of the urgency, no sense of, listen, listen, you need to get out, man. You need, not my words, his words, okay? His words, okay? No business to be in a pulpit. There is no place for calm, cool, scientific detachment in these matters. That may possibly be all right in a philosopher. It is unthinkable in a preacher because of the whole situation which is he is involved. There's no time to waste. There's too much at stake. And so this becomes the test. This is, this is the test right here. And we see in verse two where, hey, Timothy, be ready. Be ready in season. Now, being ready in season in one sense, it's easy. It's easy when the culture comes around, you pat you on the back and says, way to go, way to go, pastor, way to go, pastor. Preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. And everyone's agreeing, and everyone, everything's nice, and everyone's agreeable. And for seasons like that in history, which seem to be few and far between, but there have been, um, we're thankful for that and pray that God's grace will be seen in that context too. The hard part, though, is when the culture flees entirely and you're left there standing, all you got is God's book. Hey, where'd everyone go? Hey, it's, apparently it's out of season. Uh, the Bible's not in style. Uh, it's, uh, it's out of fashion. And this is where we live today. Um, probably in the history of Canada, the Bible's never been more out of season. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's interesting, um, I heard this week too, um, politicians. Politicians in this context in the States, they're here too, of course, but in the States, literally on some of most critical issues um, socially, um, uh, one politician believes something in 2012, they changed their position in 2013, and then they changed their position back again to where they were in 2014. They flip-flop, 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 just based on public opinion, momentum, culture, whatever. What is that? Well, that's really, that's really sad. We've come to expect that out of people with no, no uh, true, true conviction or resolve. They're just trying to go with whatever's popular. They're just really serving self and appeasing to the people of the day. Listen, um, the man of God, the woman of God can never be like that. It doesn't just move with culture, whatever's happening. That's the temptation. There's a resolve to say, God has said, so we're ready in season and we're ready um, out of season. But again, Paul, hey, Timothy, are you ready though? Are you ready? And are we ready? Are we ready? That's why this series is so essential. Being encouraged and equipped with the readiness of God's word. And notice what he says. You need to, Timothy, you need to reprove and rebuke and exhort with God's word. Reprove, again, is shining light into the darkness of our hearts or minds. To reprove is to bring to light that which sits in dark. Reprove really is, is it's, 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 it's renewing my mind. It's the Bible hitting my mind. See rebuke there? Rebuke is really appealing to the heart. So when I'm rebuked by God's word, it takes my affections and my heart and leads it in the right place before God. So reprove my mind, rebuke my heart. That's a powerful combination when mind and heart begin to flow down the path of God. And then it says um, exhort. Exhort is literally come alongside with, with encouragement. So we are reproved in mind, we are rebuked in heart by God's word, but we are exhorted, and it really, it, it, it just encourages us. So the Bible loves us, becomes our best friend. It, it helps us to persevere and be sustained along the way by the truth, the grace, and the love of God. 
Timothy, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And then notice this, though. Notice what it says at the end of verse 2. It says, um, with complete patience um, and, and teaching. I'm thankful for that phrase right here. Here we see um, the pastoral heart in view. The pastoral heart is so needed. So preach the word, teach the word. That's a process, notice, with complete patience and teaching. It's a process of long-suffering. You know, I had to learn this over the years in different ways. A little moment of pastoral transparency, especially in the early years. I had so much zeal, so much desire. God had changed my life so much and so excited to be in a setting in a church and with the truth of God. And, but at times, honestly, just, I just lacked grace. And there were times when, you know, you're kind of in the midst of, of the congregation and just kind of looking at people and you just want to say, don't you get it? But it wasn't kind of like that. It was like, why don't you get it? You know, what's wrong with you? How come you don't get it? And there's some guy sleeping over in the corner. How can you possibly sleep right now? Don't you know what we're doing? What's wrong with you? You can't sleep. No one's sleeping over there. Okay, no one's sleeping right now. I'm just giving you an example, all right? All right? But the idea and the understanding of how can you possibly fall asleep? I love what the Bible says here. But, but Robbie, you can't change people. God's like, but I can. And so there's complete patience. And hey, hey, parents, this applies to you, amen. Parents, you know, your kids, why don't you get it? How come you don't get it? But instead, we fall to our knees and say, God, please let them get it. Please let them get it. Right? I mean, that, that's the response. But with complete patience and taking that passion and urgency to prayer and saying, God, I seek you. I need you. Please open the eyes. Open the eyes of the people. Open the eyes of my children. Open the eyes, Lord, of those who need to hear the gospel. Complete patience and teaching. It's truth and it's also so much grace. Timothy, I charge you, you got to preach the word. You're ready in season, out of season. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is why, Timothy, the word of God is mandatory. It's mandatory. There's no options here. There's no options. God is watching. The Son of God is watching. I must preach the word. Thirdly, God's word is mandatory. Uh, this is important. I must anticipate resistance. Look at verse 3 now. For the time is coming... Okay, here's what I love about God's word. It prepares us for reality. It doesn't try to trick us. Hey, come believe, and then we'll just bait and switch you. Everything will be terrible. We won't tell you that, but you'll find that out. No, no, no. Bible's telling us here. Uh, for the time has come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Okay? So we're not caught off guard now, okay? So really, as believers in our day, we shouldn't look around and go, man, what's falling apart? What's happening? Wow, the culture is imploding. Everything's going wrong. I mean, really, we're saying, well, God, God has warned us, not just here, hundreds of places in Scripture, telling us, warning, you're going to live for Christ? It's going to be tough. People don't want to know the truth in the end because the truth is what shines the light upon their sin. Left to ourselves and our flesh, we don't want this. Notice the opposition in verse 3. The opposition is to sound teaching or sound doctrine. There's a footnote in my Bible beside the word sound, and it says another meaning of this is healthy. Fascinating to me. The number one reason people reject healthy teaching or healthy doctrine is because it's the healthy doctrine that reveals they are not healthy. See, the flesh doesn't want to be exposed. You can't tell me that. There's no God telling me I'm God. I want to do whatever I want to do. I will indulge my flesh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not answering to anyone. I'm my own boss. I'm my own God. I'm my own person. I'm my own king. The flesh does it all the time. And the moment healthy doctrine comes in and shines light upon the fact that I'm not healthy, I need to change, I have sinned, I've offended God, I'm dead on my own, the human heart will say, forget that. 
get that teacher away from me. Let's find some teachers who will tell me what I really want to hear. That it's about me. That my flesh is what matters. That it's about my benefit, my success, my glory, my pleasure, my leisure, my ease, my comfort. This is what's happening in in verse 3. Because notice the second half of verse 3. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Itching ears is itching or or tickling ears. Scratch my itch. Uh, Make me feel good. Notice they will accumulate. So this isn't just one. This is piling on teachers that will suit their, notice, their passions. Their sinful passions. Let's find a teacher who strokes our sin. Is what it's saying right here. See, and this is why we cannot listen ultimately to what people want to hear. We have to know what God has ultimately said. Because Dick Lucas put it this way. He said this, he says, The pew cannot control the pulpit. We cannot deliver demand-led preaching because no one demands the gospel. Okay, in and of ourselves, we don't, when you're saved in Christ, you might demand the gospel because you've seen the light. But before that, you're not going to demand the gospel. The flesh doesn't. So you can't let the pew control the pulpit. That's a disaster. Rather, the pulpit has to control the pew, as in the authority, not the pastor, the authority of God's word has to go out. And God is the one who says, this is the way that we are going. But notice the inevitable result as you gather for yourselves teachers to suit your own passions. Verse 4, notice, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So this is happening all over the place. This is why truth is needed so, so much. When the authority of God's word is diminished, commence the wandering. You see that? So you, here's the truth, you turn away from the truth. The only other option from turning away from the truth is to wander off into myths. The only option, if you turn away from truth, you wander. Because if you're not in the truth of God's word, there's no place to really be found. You are then lost. The moment you turn away from God's authority, you are wandering now off into myths. And this is what we see again all around us all the time. Notice here in the text too, God's not desiring to win a popularity contest, but he is desiring to save people from death and hell. That's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to appease man. He's trying to save man. And this is again why the truth is everything. So, you know what I love about this though? So we're warned here in verses three and four of people who don't want to hear the truth and they wander away. What does it mean then when you have a group of people who do want to hear the truth and love the authority of God's word? When you have a group of people who love God's truth, that means you have a group of people that God is moving in a very special way. That means you have an unusual circumstance of hunger and love for the things of God. And you have people who desire to hear from God, to be used to God, that their lives might be given for the glory of God. You know what I find so unbelievably precious right here at this time, in this very room, in this very church? I believe we have a group of people who do want to hear what God has to say. And I believe we have a group of people who God is moving in in a very, very special way. That who knows, loved ones, how you and us combined in our totality can be used in our day for the strength of God and the grace of God and the light of God and how much glory God will get. It is an, it is an honor and a privilege to serve you in this way with a group of people who desire, who desire the Lord. Now here's what I know. Every weekend there's people who get up, walk out, and they're not coming back. You know what I'm saying? Like every, they're not going to the bathroom, okay? 
they're leaving, okay? You see them, I see them, okay? So not everyone wants to hear the truth. Not everyone wants to hear it, okay? But a lot that are here do. And that is a joy. That is an absolute honor for me and the elders to serve alongside you in the greatest cause ever. But here's what we know. If we're going to see God's words mandatory, we've got to anticipate there's going to be resistance. There's going to be. There's going to be. Accept the charge. Preach the word. Anticipate resistance. Fourthly and finally this. Number four is this. God's word is mandatory. I must fulfill my ministry. I must fulfill my ministry now. So look at verse 5, okay? So here's what happens. Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. I love this. Um, But as for you, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, I love the beginning of verse 5, okay? So so, Timothy, people are are, are denying the truth. Um, They're wandering away from the truth. Um, I only got a few minutes to live, Timothy. My life's coming to an end. Timothy, as for you now, as for you, You get ready. You're different, Timothy. You're set apart. You're called. You're saved. You get boldness. You get power. You get love. You get desire. I think of the young Timothys in the room right now. I think of the young Timothys that need to set up, young men and women, called and set apart for the Lord. Listen to me, young people, all people. Listen to me right now, okay? This is so, so key. The Bible's telling you there will be a cost to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible's telling us all, young or old, okay? It's gonna come at a price. People will make fun of you. People will scorn you. People will scoff at you. You will be ridiculed for your faith in Jesus Christ. You're doing what? You're going where? You're listening to what? You're reading who? All these things will happen as a guarantee of following Jesus. But we need young men and women where Paul says, as for you and today, but as for you, when you know the truth, when you've seen the light, when you have the resolve and the conviction, when you understand, if I am not accepted by this world, I'm accepted by the king. That is the truth that carries you from wanting to be popular in this day to understanding the power of the authority and the love of God upon your life to carry you from each day and each week and each month and each year to serve the glory. Because again, the moment he returns, you're not caring about what he said or she said about your status and your little group of friends. You're caring about your status before the living God. And that's the truth right now. But as for you, but as for you, we need Timothys to stand up. We need young people right now. I am resolved right now before God that I trust him. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a cost. But God's like, I promised you all that. But God says, I also promise I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Young people especially, there's no guarantees what happens to this church after this generation. There's no guarantees what happens to this church after today. Every day it's a decision to say, I'm going with God, I'm going with God, I'm going with God. And you can resolve right now, resolve right now to understand the power of this truth. As for you, Timothy, notice this, be sober-minded. Sober-minded literally is free of intoxicants. Uh, Meaning, uh, see clearly, think clearly, be focused. One of the things I love so much about the urgency of our day, do you feel it? I feel it. Urgency everywhere in my life right now. What I love about this is that it's quickly and increasingly allowing me to see the fluff of this world being that, being fluff. The things that I think will satisfy and, you, and your flesh tricks you into thinking, well, if I do this or if I see this or if I go, whatever, just these, these simple things, sometimes harmless things, but at the end, you think they're gonna fulfill you, but you do them and you're just like, that wasn't satisfying at all. 
And then you almost despise them because you're like, you just lied to me again, worldly things, idolatrous things. And then you have a longing for the, for the one who does satisfy Jesus Christ. It's so powerful. That's what it means to be sober-minded. You see, you see reality. You see the truth. You don't want to be part of things that don't matter. You want to be part of him who matters most. Sober-mindedness. Notice he says here next, he says, uh, endure suffering. Hey, Timothy, you got to endure and you're going to suffer. This just in loved ones. You're used by God, you got to endure and you're going to suffer. Whatever that looks like to God. And he said, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. This isn't let the evangelist do the work. This is, Timothy, you do the work. Take the message, take the word of God, take the gospel, and we gotta, we gotta share it. We gotta proclaim it. It's gonna be work. By God's grace, he will help us. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he ends with this. Ready? He ends. Uh, what does it say? What does it say? Don't look at me. Look at the book. Look at the book. Look at the book. Look at the book. It says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. I love that. So, so we're ending here today, but, but listen, listen. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Now, now, Paul in verses six and on, he's gonna like, my time to depart has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, I'm being poured as a drink offering. Timothy, I am at my end. I've, I've, I've fulfilled my ministry. And now it's your turn. It's your turn. And Timothy, in some sense, probably knees knocking and just like, how, how do I do it? And what Paul said all throughout this letter and elsewhere in scripture, he says at the end of the day, loved ones, we cannot fulfill our ministry in and of ourselves. Okay? This isn't like try harder, try harder. The only way we fulfill our ministry is by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ within our lives. But hear me, look right here, look right here, look right here. Ready, ready? But the Lord's saying to you right now, fulfill your ministry. Look, look, he's set you apart by his gospel. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What's your ministry? Fulfill it. Fulfill it. How? By God, by his grace, by his strength. Remember, remember, the whole way your Christian journey got started was the moment you were saved by grace through faith. Where did that happen? At the cross of Jesus Christ. It's all him. Everything's about the gospel. Everything. And how we continue on now in this ministry that we are called to, separated, created for good works in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10. The only way that's accomplished ultimately is also by the grace of the gospel through the cross of Jesus Christ, through forgiveness of sins and the strength that he provides. So loved ones, fulfill your ministry. But fulfill your ministry by the grace offered to you again as the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the boldness and the love and the light to live this life for what matters most. It's all about the cross. It's all about the grace and mercy of God. That's how we fulfill our ministry.